Hi, friends. This is episode 83 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hello, everybody. So excited to go through this conversation with you. This is going to be a good one. We are going through the story of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker when they're thrown into prison with Joseph and how that not only affected Joseph, but also how does this affect you when you see there's a God who can get you out of situations. And yet, even though you know he has the power, even though God's proven the power to you, you still find yourself stuck in the same dark spot. How does that affect you and your spiritual patience and understanding God's timing and whether your timing is better than God's timing or why is God's timing taking so long to do what you want to do? We're going to be discussing that today and I can't wait to have this conversation with you, but I also want you to make sure to go to our website. If you haven't already, go to thebiblelab.com, go to the episodes page, then go down to the study uh, icon that has a life of many colors. Click on that and make sure that you look at study guide number three. Click on the little red icon there. Get your own free copy of the PDF so you can follow along and see some of the language, some of the words, and some of the things that we discussed during this conversation. Thanks so much for going on this journey. I'm delighted that you're here and hope that God will richly bless you. Welcome to the Bible Lab. Number one, I'm probably more patient. <laughs> Not yet. Carolyn, you're making me impatient. Number one, I'm probably more patient than most of the people in this room. <laughs> okay, now, okay, let's see. Oh, look at this. Okay, I'm seeing about 65% people saying no. And I'm seeing about, well, about 30% yes and 5% maybes. Yes, this is not a very patient group. You got just about enough patience for my eight minutes of announcements. That was it. You're like, let's go. Not a patient crowd. So today's uh, journey into the next phase of Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 40, uh, we're going to be talking about this a lot. Because many of you, one of the greatest struggles you've had in your spiritual journey has been the struggle with patience. And I already have a couple of amens here. And the reason why is because God has planted in your heart what he has made you to, to be. And then ultimately what you're supposed to do based on who God made you to be. But in your heart, you've felt it. Every single one of you here knows you are made to make a difference. And because of that, as you've walked in your own personal prayer life, you said, God, open up these opportunities, or here, I have an opportunity. Help me to truly be who you need me to be, to do the things you need me to do. Um, sometimes it feels like, and perhaps your prayer has shifted into, uh, God, do you care about this? Because here is an opportunity, and it, and it feels like, your timeline and my timeline are completely different. seems like my timeline is, come on, God, here's the opportunity. Let's get things moving. Let's get things going. 
And sometimes it feels like God has forgotten. We're going to dig deep into this because this is the experience of Joseph. A man who, when you read his story, it says God was with him, God was with him, and, and, and God was blessing him. But if you look at the trajectory of his life, like we looked at last week, it's this downward spiral. And here we look at Joseph in jail for possibly 11 years to this point. And chapter 40 ends with the phrase, he had forgotten him. Not God but the people that God had brought into Joseph's life. So we're going to talk about that today. So all of you impatient people, uh, listen up, because today is definitely for you. And all of you people that uh, said, yes, I am more patient than the others in this room, um, let me just go for a drive with you during rush hour, and we'll have another conversation. (laughs) Moving on, number two. God's answers to my prayers seem to take longer than it does for other people. God's answers to my prayers seem to take longer than it does for other people. Okay, this is interesting because I'm seeing about 45% yes. I'm seeing, wow, about, yeah, about 45% no and 10% maybe, maybe a little bit more than 10% maybes. I'm always... I'm I'm always a little troubled when we as a group, and in five years we've had this happen several times, when we as a group, we've talked about prayer and how God answers prayers and when God answers prayer, and I'm always troubled when the individual says, well, I just prayed and five minutes later the phone rang and God had an answer. I went to my mailbox and I opened it up and there was a check in the mail and I I just prayed and my, my children who had no interest in church called me up and said, hey, can we go to church with you this week? And I just, it's just immediately I pray and things happen. I always get greatly concerned when someone makes a comment like that. And you might have heard me say in the past, um, I always see life as if I'm watching television. When someone says that, I always see the little white words on the bottom of the screen that say, results not typical. (laughs) And maybe you do too. So we're going to talk about this today because one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of people I've worked with in what I call spiritual rehab is people who have left their confidence in God. They've walked away from having a spiritual connection with God. And the very consistent story that I hear is, you know, I prayed for God too. And then they fill in the blank. But it didn't happen. And it made me question whether God existed at all. And perhaps you know some people like that, or perhaps you went through a journey like that at some point in your life when you had to come to grips with other people are saying, or it seems that God is giving them attention and answering their prayers, but when I pray, I have a completely different experience. It's it's as if I'm being ignored. And if that's been your experience, or you're working with some family members or loved ones who are going through that experience, today is definitely for you. When you look at how God is present with people who feel like they're forgotten. We're going to talk about that today. Number three, when my life is tough, God seems to pile on even more challenges to grow me. When my life is tough, God seems to pile on even more challenges 
to grow me. Okay, so I see, wow, okay, I'm seeing about 45% yes, and I'm seeing about 50% no and 5% maybes. So we're really split uh, on this one here. Uh, just had a conversation with, with someone uh, yesterday who's here, but I don't have permission, so I'll just say what it was about. Um, where uh, one, of their, one of their friends uh, experienced the death of their mother, and then uh, a couple months later, uh, a wife diagnosed with cancer, dies the day after Christmas, and he loses his job, very significant job, all these things. And it, isn't, it, isn't it typical that these things seem to come in waves? Yeah? Yeah. So in times like that, you have to ask, when my life is tough, uh, is this God piling on even more challenges? And why? Is it to grow me? Is it to test me? Is it to challenge me? Is it to see what I can do or whether I'm faithful? And so these times really bring into our lives the questions of, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do about everything that's going on around me? We're going to talk about that today as well. I'm looking forward to hearing from you, especially on that. Number four. God causes disappointments to strengthen our faith. God causes disappointments to strengthen our faith. Okay, I'm seeing a majority, well, now it's switched. Okay, I see still, yeah, about 55% no, and I'm seeing, wow, about 35% yes, and whatever the remainder is is 15. I hope there's someone that teaches math here, they would know. So, most of you are saying that God does not cause disappointments to strengthen our faith. But based on the perspective of the writer of today's story, it kind of appears that he believes that God brings disappointments to help build your faith, to grow your faith. And we've got to wrestle with that today, with the language today, and we will. And number five, if God answered my prayer request quicker, he would be hurting me. If God answered my prayer request quicker, he would be hurting me. I know this is hard because most of you are impatient. All right, so I am seeing more maybes than I have all morning. Um, I'm seeing about 45% maybes. And then it looks to me, yeah, it looks to me to, to be about 40% no and what's left, 10% yes. Um, I don't know what this means because all these maybes, I don't know which way you're leaning. But I know what you want. And I know you want it to be um, looking at, the, if God answered my prayer request quicker, he'd be hurting me. I know most of you are thinking in your head, because I'm impatient, um, I hope this is not true. Because wouldn't it be nice if you could have a relationship with God where you pray and he just does things and it's not a test of faith and everything just goes smoothly? I'm spiritually mature, right? God, you don't need to mature me anymore. So we're going to talk about that too, because uh, when you look at, at the story today and what goes on during Joseph's life, he had to have these questions. He had to have these questions, why? Why is God not acting now? And why am I in this position that I'm in? And, and why has God made me in really an impossible situation? We're going to open that up too, the impossible situation that he's in to where his hope of getting out is next to none. 
So as we look at this today, I want you to think in your own mind about your own life and the challenges you've gone through, the disappointments that you've gone through. In fact, you may be living in disappointments right now based upon things that you always felt in your heart would happen, but you also had a different timeline. So we're going to look at that today because God's timeline and our timeline rarely match up. And hopefully by the end of today's conversation, you're going to see through Joseph's experience that you still have a lot of hope because God's timeline is a good timeline. God's timing is good timing. And so it may not have happened when you wanted it to, but it's going to happen at the perfect time for you to fulfill your ultimate life calling and your life purpose to its fullest. Yes, you've done some things in the past that God has opened up for you, but your fulfillment of your life continues until your last breath. And so we're going to talk about that today. And so let's open up Genesis chapter 40. We're going to take a look first at the first eight verses, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to go through verses 9 through 23 in the second part of our conversation. The New International Version reads Genesis 40 verses 1 through 8 this way, and it's right there in your study guide. It says, Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in the prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. A couple of things here we have to see that we skip by because they're lost in translation. The first thing is in verse 1. So this chief cupbearer and chief baker, they offended their master, the Pharaoh. So what does it mean offended? Now the word that's used is huge. It's the same word that we use for sin in the rest of the Old Testament. They sinned against their master. This is obviously something big. So as commentators have tried to figure out what would offend the Pharaoh so much, and they look at the positions, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, these were not the only two that were responsible, of course, for making sure that the king was, was fed and watered, I guess is the best way to say it. Um, but they're in charge. They're the chiefs of both the cup and the food. So many commentators say, well, what would have been so offensive to the Pharaoh that he would have thrown both of them in jail and then later on let one off and kill the other? And the most logical thing they can come up with is the Pharaoh got food poisoning. And men, you know, there's nothing more offensive than being food poisoned. 
You, you feel terrible, you're sick, all your insides want to be on your outsides. And so it's surmised by most theologians that the Pharaoh had experienced food poisoning and he didn't know that it came from what I drank or did it come from what I ate. And so he threw him in the jail while they could do an investigation to see who was responsible. And so that's why they get thrown into jail. Second thing, in verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. A couple of things. Captain of the guard, this is the exact same title that was given to Potiphar, right? And so we saw last week, Joseph's thrown into Potiphar's jail, which is the place where you throw all the royal. It's kind of like um, you, you have different types of, of jails here. You got blue collar and white collar crime and the white collars go to some resort type of prison compared to the others. So in this prison, once again, they're under Potiphar, who also is the chief executioner. So here's the thing that most people miss. Okay, we just went through in the previous chapter, 39, Joseph's spiral from one pit to the next to the next. He went from the pit where his brothers uh, threw him, and then he was sold into slavery and had to go down into Egypt. And then he was thrown down into the prison. So we had these three different descents from dignity down to darkness. This experience demoted Joseph. Because remember, Potiphar had put him in charge of all the affairs of the prison. So he was in charge of the whole prison. And now when these two royal officials are thrown into prison, Potiphar says, okay, stop, stop that. Now I need you to be, and the term is the same for slave. I need you to be the slave of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and attend to them. You're their slave. Make sure they're doing okay. Because Potiphar knew one of them was going to get off and they needed to be in good health and be ready to serve the Pharaoh when they got out. And so Joseph descends even lower. If you thought it was bad being in prison, now he's a slave to prisoners in prison. So I want to ask you this. So get your comment and question cards ready as we start out our dialogue here. What do you think God is doing here by taking Joseph on a path from bad to worse? Does God do that? And if so, does he do it often? So what are your thoughts here? Just looking at the beginning of this story, does God typically take things from bad to worse in your experience? What is God doing um, with his people that he's working with? We're going to start over here with Linda with the red microphone. Thanks, Linda. Yeah, you're on. You know, I really think, like my friend here said, you got to hit bottom before you can come up. Do you? It's been that way a lot for me okay. in my life. Okay. And I really strongly believe that through that, it has made me turn to God and grow my faith. So I think here in this story, from my personal experience, I'm inclined to see that God is 
really wanting Joseph to rely on him. Yeah. Because God has big plans for him that Joseph doesn't know about yet. Yeah. He might be getting a clue, but yeah, I, 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 I think he's that. trying to grow his faith. No, I, I love that, Linda. And, and I would just like to add a, a little perspective in there. And I, I wasn't dis- disagreeing. I was, I was asking your perspective because I have people tell me both extremes. Either God wants to continually elevate you and elevate you and elevate you. And then I have other people tell me, well, God's going to lead you until you hit rock bottom so that you're dependent upon him so then he can use you. And I hear both of these stories so consistently and equally from different communities and different individuals that I, I have to ask, is it, well, what is, what is the typical experience? And the second thing is we're going to see here in a moment, we're going to see here in, in, in a moment that like what you mentioned, you know, you said Joseph didn't know what, what God was leading. We're going to see here in a moment two more dreams. How many dreams has Joseph had so far? I'll give you a hint. Is this many? <laughs> two. Yes, you guys are quick. Um, Joseph's had two dreams. In chapter 40, there's two dreams. Guess what? Next week, there's two more dreams, which is very significant. To the, um, to the mindset and the, and, and, and the belief systems of the day, both for Hebrew and for Egyptian. Um, dreams that came in two, uh, it, it connotated that this is confirmed. So it was like the first dream gave you an idea, a, a vision of the future. The second dream confirmed it. Um, beyond that, we're going to see here in in a moment, um, especially the Egyptians believed that dreams were very, very uh, powerful. And dreams would not tell you about your past, and dreams would not tell you about your present. Dreams were all about the gods showing you the future. And so we, we have to ask the question, how much did Joseph know about his future? And especially when we get to the part of Joseph saying, because he says here, who but God can interpret these dreams. He knew the source of the dreams was God. So we obviously have some confidence here that God is bringing dreams. But here's a guy who's been in jail for 11 years. And his dreams were what? That his brothers, these 11 sheaves, would bow down to his sheaf of of grain. That the stars and even the sun and the moon, his mom and his dad, would bow down to him. Here's a guy that's a slave in jail. So the question that you raise, Linda, is how much did he know? And we're going to see that today as we continue on in the story. But I wanted to interact because of what you said there. How much did Joseph know in the deepest, darkest time in the pit? How much did he know about God's plan and whether he would be successful or not? And we're going to talk about that as we go because many people will apply to Joseph's life. He didn't know. He didn't know it was going to happen. But we're going to see in the rest of the story, there's no way that he did not have confidence in God's plan to raise him up to a powerful position. 
and also do what he does during this story. And so we're going to see that in a moment. Purple Mike. Yes, uh, Debbie. Um, so I sort of agree with what Linda was saying, but I think Satan wants to take everyone down. Yes. So when we, some of these are worded, does God make this happen? I just have a hard time with that, though. I mean, I know there's certain things when God had to speak in a very loud voice in history, um, emergency measures. But I think for the most part, Satan is the one who brings these things on. And God has the power to shield, but at the same time, he wants to give freedom. But I think God does allow difficulties and challenges to come into our life because it does build character and build our faith that um, law of exertion as we exercise that muscle of depending on him yeah. or even a little child you know if they are maybe not even a child a teenager okay um, or, or an elderly person letting the fishing fishing scammer whatever take them down you learn you don't give out your credit card or yeah. whatever yeah. but I mean you learn and you grow and if you don't face anything um, any trials, any difficulties, and everything's dropped in your lap, you're not going to learn those lessons in the same way. Yeah. Um, and then you referred to Job last week. Yes. And so sometimes I wonder, um, is maybe part of this was for the universal intelligences mm -hmm. to see, you know, maybe there is some conversation going like this. This is my faithful son, Joseph, yeah. and he trusts me. And, and, and you know, you can't, if you take, again, that prosperity gospel where if you follow God, he's going to take away every bad thing that's going to happen to you. Yeah. You know, that's not really letting Satan and letting things play out um, yeah. so Satan can show his true character. Yeah. Um, and then one last thing, did, say, did Joseph know what was going to happen? You know, this is just my opinion. I don't think he really did, except for the one thing he did know, I think, is that God was trustworthy. Even if he yes. didn't know where God was taking him, yeah. God would be with him. Yeah. But I don't, th I don't know that he knew how all the specifics were going to play out. I, d I love that, Debbie. It, it, it reminds me, I've, I've recently been working with several people um, in, in coaching them. One of the things that people don't understand is one of the most powerful super weapons that the enemy, the devil, uses on us. Uh, and I, I heard doubt over here, which is a strong tool. It is a weapon, but his greatest super weapon is actually discouragement. Doubt is one thing, but discouragement is even greater. Because ask yourself this question, because this is what I ask the, the people I work with who they're just right on the cusp of, uh, of truly taking the steps that, that they need to be extremely life-changing people in the communities and sphere in, in which they work. I ask them, what would your life look like if you were immune to discouragement? If you could never, ever be discouraged in your life, what would you do? What is holding you back right now because you fear discouragement. You know, the disappointment of not being able to repeatedly accomplish something. So what would your life be different if discouragement could not exist in, in your life? And so when you look at that, you're, you're correct. I see that what the, there's multiple stories going on. There's the viewpoint of Joseph. There's the viewpoint of God. And we see those clearly in the story. But you also have to overlay the third person in the story, which is the enemy, whose greatest desire is that throughout a prolonged time of unanswered 
prayer in, in the way and timeline that you want it to be, the enemy is, is using that to speak into your heart to discourage you. And if he can bring the discouragement in, you no longer have courage. You are in a state of discourage. And so as we look at this, you're going to see that even though it appears that God is hands off, you're going to see in the story that God infuses courage so that Joseph does not go through a time of discouragement. And so we're going to see that here in a moment. Who is next, the green mic or the blue mic? Green mic. Go for it. Okay. It was more a question than uh, Great, an opinion, perfect. but, you know, how, how uh, theologians resolve this issue of if did God caused it or not? <sighs> like, for example... We know in the Bible that he caused flood, mm -hmm. he caused a donkey to talk to a prophet, yeah. these kind of things, right? And the other mm -hmm. ones, like Joseph, um, did he or did he not? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I, 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 I think for the practical life, uh, my, my life, I, or I believe each person has its own perception of what, does, what God does or not. Like, when you were talking about the prayer answers, Yes, and I, I, I have uh, I've heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, I prayed for this and it happened." Oh, God bless, and that's it. And then I thought, how many people prayed for the same thing and didn't get it? Like, Absolutely. Oh, I was praying for a job and I got it. God, God is good. Yeah. And how many people prayed for the same job with the same condition, even better resume, yes. and didn't get it? Yes. So is that person special, or God had a plan for that person, or not? Right? So I think, in my opinion, my life, I pray. Some, I try not to pray for uh, daily stuff. Mm -hmm. I pray more for spiritual strength yeah. and understanding. Because I think we are, what causes our life, or my life, is the sin in me and sin in others and Satan all crossing together. And my, my job is kind of, if it's a job, mm -hmm. is try to hang on to God to see, to have clarity and see all these things. Yeah. So that, that's it. I, I love that you're asking that question because that's the question of the majority of the people here and the majority of the people that listen to the podcast. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where it's really, really tough. You, you start out by saying, you know, where is this coming from? Is this coming from God because he needs to take me through a journey of hardship so, so that I'll learn to trust him? Is this coming from the devil? Like we see at the very beginning of the book of Job, which Debbie just talked about, which is the devil saying, I can get him to curse you. Just let me get my hands on him. So is it coming from the devil or is it coming from God? And I'll tell you the place I've come to, and many of you are not going to like it. You're not going to like it at all. The place I've come to is it doesn't matter. Because I, I know... I, I know the contradictory phrases, all good gifts come from God, but I also know the phrase, he can make beauty from ashes. So when you look at it, to me, I don't waste a single moment of my life asking God, is this from you or is this from the devil? Because quite frankly, God has decided in that moment, because God loves me more than all of you, and thank you, I know you love me quite a bit, but he... If you can believe it, he loves me more. Um, 
God loves me deeply, dearly, and he is so attentive to me. And one day, whenever we get to talk about quantum physics, because we understand it better, you're going you're gonna to understand how God can give you individualized attention and not ignore a single other person. Because that's how he made the universe, in this ability to interact with you and only you and do that seven, eight billion times concurrently. That's, how, that's why he made it the way he did, because he wants to work with you. So God's working with me and with you individually, continually throughout your life. And he loves it when you realize it and acknowledge his presence because he's there. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with you till the end of time. So God is there and challenge comes into my life. Adversity comes into my life. I don't waste a moment saying, God, is this from you or the enemy for this reason? I know God loves me so much that he will not let me endure something beyond what I can bear, right? That's what scripture says. So beyond that, my conversation with God then shifts into this. God, you're using this. I need this. Thank you for this. Because when you get into an attitude of gratitude for all the things that are in your life, whether it's the, the, you know, all the beautiful possessions God can bring into your life, we're thankful for. But when we can also look at all the dispossessions, the, the things that we lose in, in life, and we get ourselves into that mode of understanding God is building me into what he needs for the people he has placed around me, because you were not accidentally placed in, in the place and time and even the family you're in. None of this was an accident. Even those of you who were adopted, there was a very real plan that you would be adopted into the family that you were placed because you needed it and they needed it and all the people that now live around you need you to have the perspective that you did, otherwise you would not have the powerful influence that you now have. And so I never question God, is this from you or the devil? Because I know that God is not testing to see whether I'll remain faithful. He's refining me to make sure that I'm powerful. And the only way I can be powerful is if I stop asking God, why, why, why? And I shift that into, okay, now what? What, what, what? What is this leading me to? How is this making me sensitive to something I never even noticed before? How can I now be empathetic to something I couldn't even be sympathetic to before? And so God is using these things. So don't ask, God, is this from you or the devil? It doesn't matter. What matters is God only allows the things into your life that will grow you. He does not allow things into your life that will destroy you. The only way that the things that come into your life that he allows can destroy you is if you choose to believe the enemy that says, this proves you're invaluable to God. So you can't allow that conversation to go on. Otherwise, that's the devil's greatest tool to discourage you. Blue microphone over here. Yes. Yes, Pastor, I agree with you. The Good, you can stay. The love. <laughs> Mentioning the love, the love. Okay. Um, that's what I was thinking, that God was loving the pharaohs. He was loving all those people back then. And he was thinking, how am I going to do this novella? 
You know yeah. how a novella gets created? Yeah. All these different parts. Yeah. So God is a creative God. Mm -hmm. So he creates this novella where Joseph would be like the main character and mm -hmm. uh, being used to get these pharaohs to know about him mm -hmm. and giving these dreams to, to them. So they're like, what is this? Where is this coming from? Yeah. And he uses that special thing called hunger. When we hambre, cuando tenemos hambre, yeah. when you're hungry, hungry, yes. You're, when, <laughs> <laughs> when you when you when you have you know a big hunger, yeah. and you're willing to do anything to eat, right? Yes, yes. And God used that. He says, "I'm going to take the food away, hmm. but not right now. You know, I'm going to do it like you know, ten ten years from now or something. So I'm going to prepare. So God is kind of preparing this novella, hmm. coming into the hunger situation where they hmm. are going to have to think." what how we're going to eat how to do that and so god is using joseph you know ahead of time to yeah. you know protect his family because he knew that his brothers were going to come and get the food mm -hmm. uh i i resonate with joseph in that sense that when god called me to the united states um i was one of 13 kids wow yeah i have wow. 10 sisters and, and three brothers and um, at the point where I was seven years old, we, we, had, we had no food in the house. Mm. And mom says, you need to go out. We pay the, the rent, but you need to go out to get food. Mm. And so I'd be knocking on my neighbors, do you need any help? Mm. You know, can I help you wash dishes or something? And that's how God helped me get the food for the family. And so um, at 15, mom says, you need to go to the United States. We need food, we need something. You know? So she, she said, go. The opportunity came to come. Now we're just supposed to be here for two weeks, wow. but God made it a whole life yeah. for me to continue helping my family to this mm. even this day. Well, I have 40 nephews now. Wow. Everybody wow. has grown, have nephews, are having babies and so on. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> God knew what was going to happen. He mm. brought me here for a mm -hmm. purpose, not only to help them, but all the things. I've learned so much. Can, can I ask you a question? During that time of deepest hardship, in your mind, was there a vision of an end to that hardship? Did you feel internally that things would get better? Or was that more of a question than a, a real feeling that it would happen? I thought about that question, and I, and I resonate with Christ in the sense that Christ saw me mm -hmm. uh, when he was dying on the cross. Mm -hmm. He saw, I'm, I see Ligia there, I see Pastor Ice, I see the Bible lab people. And he went to the cross thinking that if he went to that pain, that he was going to help them mm -hmm. redeem our salvation. Yeah. And when I thought about the experience that I've gone through where I have come to the country where I didn't know the language, I, I had culture shock. I didn't mm -hmm. know how difficult it was to get a job. One of my first job was at McDonald's cleaning tables. and. Uh, it was like, why am I having to do this? I was supposed to be in my country studying, becoming a, I wanted to become a psychologist so I can help my, my sick family, you know, how to get them better, you know. Yeah. But God brought me here and I'm cleaning tables, you know, cleaning windows. But God had a purpose and, mm -hmm. and I suffered through all of that. But then now that I look back, I say it was worth it mm -hmm. because I met Christ when I came here. Really? I met Jesus Christ. I did. I was Catholic wow. at the time. I didn't know. I, I, I was, you know, like the Pope was the best in the world. And, mm -hmm. and I, I was like, no, no, that cannot be. But when I studied and I became, uh, I, I started learning the Bible, 
I was in love with mm. Christ. I said, oh my God, what a sacrifice. Yeah. So that pain, that hurt, that traveling through all that yeah. experience helped me to, to understand that God is a loving God. Yeah. That he would make us go through difficulties, trials and tribulations with a purpose. Yeah. And I praise God for that. Oh, so do I. That's amazing. <clears throat> Lots of love at cards on that. I, I, I have a, a deep fear, and that deep fear is my kids have too easy of a life. I don't know if you have the same fear for your kids, your grandkids, nieces, nephews, whatever, but you're like, Lord, bring in some trials, because these guys are soft. Um. Interesting, interesting study happened. I believe it was around the early 60s in Harvard, and uh, one of these professors did a, a horrible experiment. Um, so I'm going to share it with you. Um, <laughs> he, he took a bunch of rats, and he, he put them into this pool of water to measure how long can these rats tread water before they drown. And so they put the rats in, and they measured the time, and it was only 15 minutes before the rats gave up and started allowing their heads to sink beneath the, the surface of the water. But he had another plan, because he wasn't that psychotic. Um, he had his assistants right at the moment that the rats had given up and let their heads go underwater. He had his assistants pluck the rats out of the pool, dry them off, warm them up a little bit, and put them back in the pool. <laughs> yeah, maybe he was psychotic. Let me ask you, okay, so the rats, after 15 minutes, give up and decide I'm going to drown. They give up after 15 minutes. That was the average time for all these rats. How long do you suppose the rats continued treading water after the experience of being taken out, dried off, warmed up a little bit, before being put back in the water. Take a guess, how long do you think they treaded water after that first 15 minute experience? How long? Some people say 60 minutes. You're not patient, you're like, just tell us the answer. Sixty hours. And the only thing that they could come up with saying, why? These rats won't stop swimming. Why? And what they came to the conclusion is that because the rats had experienced a moment of hope, an experience of salvific hope. They were saved, that they knew they could live. So the question is, in the experiences you've been, and sometimes you feel like you're, in fact, maybe you've said this, as people say, how is your week? You say, well, I'm just treading water. I'm barely keeping my head above the water. I have this real sinking feeling. I'm drowning in debt. All these phrases, perhaps you said it this week or last week, whatever, you have this sinking feeling that things are not going well and you're just treading water. 
God brings you very intentionally through experiences in your life where you feel like this is it. And he shows you, I've got this. And I've got you. Don't lose hope. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. What do we do? We just keep swimming, right? Exactly. Uh, who is next? Purple? Purple Mike, yeah. Many of us are involved in some kind of healing or health ministry. And so I say, <clears throat> does God have one approach to each of, you know, do we as healers have one approach to taking care of health? Yeah. Well, uh, there's a bunch of specialties in this room. Yeah. Jack is a surgeon. I'm a radiation oncologist. Yeah. Chris... And Chris and, I is a urologist. Yep. And I always tell people I'm the lowest paid anesthesiologist in Loma Linda. <laughs> no, Wake up. No, no pain, no gain. Yeah. Uh, so I go, you know, what you're saying is, you know, if a person needs surgery, the worst thing you can do is not give them surgery. It's true. If a person needs radiation, you know, but I tell my patients, what is the best intervention if possible? It's none at all, mm. if you can do it. Yeah. But most of, you know, we are here in a world of sin. Yeah. And so most of us need some help. Absolutely true. Yes. Hi. Yes. Um, I loved, I love all the comments that, that you've made. Um, one of the things that I found helpful, though, for myself yeah. is that Jesus said, or uh, Satan came to kill, still, and destroy. Yes. Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. More abundantly, yes. And so when I'm thinking about when the trials come and that kind of stuff, um, if it's something that is killing or stealing or destroying... <laughs> Uh, it helps me to recognize this isn't from Jesus. Yeah. Jesus paid the price. Yes. He disarmed the powers and authorities yes. so that I can walk in the fullness of life that he has yes. for me. And I'm not saying that it's not difficult, there's not surrender, there's not challenge, but I'm just saying that it makes me much more confident knowing that Jesus already has a plan for whatever that challenge is, knowing that I can agree with that yes. and say, yes, Jesus, I can, I can walk through this. You have a plan, and the fullness of that is going to be powerful. It's going to be good. Yes. And so it just kind of gives a little bit of... I love that. Yeah, that's, that's powerful and, and profound, what, what you just said. I, I like what you said. In, in the sense that you not only use the word confidence, but you're, you're exuding this confidence. And I would dare say your confidence comes through experience. In, in fact, we've talked about this in, in weeks leading up to this as well. Um, the Hebrew view of faith was not believing in fantasy, fairy tale, whatever. The Hebrew uh, understanding of the word faith equates to how we use the word trust today, and trust only comes through experience. And so uh, that's where I see, I, I, I wish everyone could have your perspective, you know, from the get-go, that I have confidence because I know that 
he who began a good work in me will complete it. And many of us are not confident that he's going to complete it because we feel very much undone right now. And we feel like we're falling apart, not being put together and completed. So I, I love what you said. And I know that for many people here who are not at the place of confidence yet, that is God's goal, is to build your spiritual self-confidence. In fact, I call it spiritual self-worth. Um, we deal with you know, emotional self-worth, uh, and we, we think we've figured out counseling ways to deal with it, but not a lot of people have tried tackling spiritual self-worth. How do you build your self-esteem knowing your value despite the fact that you feel like trash a lot of the times. Uh, Raul, sorry, red mic. It's interesting that um, the story of Joseph is told by, uh, by a third person. Yes. It's not from uh, the, his own uh, writing, his own story. Yeah. Um, and uh, there is an element that I, I read through the story that you mentioned, patience. But I would like to point out to um, peace. Mm. For me, this story um, re indicates that this man reached a, a, a high point of maturity in peace. Yes. And it's not written explicitly like that. And it reminds me of another character that went from bad to, bad to worse, which yeah. is the Apostle Paul. Yeah. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he lists his sufferings, <laughs> and it's line. very long. Yeah. The only missing thing there is cancer. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't know because later on he calls something a thorn in the flesh. Exactly. And we can't so, it out. other than that, uh, he checked everything possible from hunger to being shipwrecked in the ocean, from being beaten tens of times, everything, you know, yeah. you name it. Yeah. But Later on, years later, and we read that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, mm -hmm. he writes to young pastor Timothy and says this. I'm going to, if you please, let me. He says, for I am not, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. You said like uh, being drowned in debt or something like that. Yeah. And the time for my departure is near. So he says, hey, I, I don't have any hope of being released from jail. He was yeah. writing from jail, but listen to his peace. Mm. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, it's difficult even to read it yeah. for us. You know, I, I've had cancer. I lost yeah. my daughter. I lost my whatever, but I have peace. Mm. That is tremendously difficult. Yeah. But that is our goal. We, yes. we, are, we, we have to go there to yeah. that level of peace. And that's why they call it a peace that passes understanding. Is because people around you can't understand, Raul, how after all the things that you've gone through, some of the things you're currently going through right now, how is it that you are here and you're at peace? It's because you understand that God loves you so much He's still not going to allow you to go through anything that is beyond what you can bear and would ruin your relationship with him, which is your salvation. And so that's the peace, you're right, that Joseph had. I, I see a couple of mics. Let me, uh, if you can uh, 
humor me. Let me go through a couple more verses here. Because you have to understand this piece that, that Raul's talking about. As you look at Genesis chapter 40, looking at the remainder, verses 9 through 23, I'm going to read through it quickly here. It says, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and, it, and its clustered ripened into grapes. There's another three things there. It budded, it blossomed, and ripened into grapes. Verse 11, Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. Just real quick, chances are in three days... It was either, and it's most likely, it was the Pharaoh's birthday, and that was a time when they would release prisoners, or it was the anniversary of his coronation as Pharaoh, which was the moment that they coronated him as a god. So it was a celebration of either his birthday or his new birthday as a new god. And so that's what's coming up in three days. Verse 14 goes on to say, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now, this word show me kindness is hesed in, uh, in Hebrew. It's the same word that's, that's used all throughout the Old Testament for when God shows you mercy. He helps you out. He saves you. So show me this saving, mercy-filled kindness, is what Joseph saying. Verse 15, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Let me ask you this, what hope does Joseph have of getting out of the prison? None vis uh, visibly, because the very person who put him in there is the person in charge of keeping him there. He's the chief jailer, and the chief jailer has quite a problem because according to his wife, you tried messing with her. So the very person that has the ability to get you out of prison is the guy you've offended and obviously doesn't believe that you're innocent enough to release you or has the public stigma of, I can't release him, otherwise I'm saying my wife is not all that important. And so the very person that could release Joseph is the person that's in charge of keeping him there. So of that, this is why Joseph is saying, please tell Pharaoh. I, I need, you ever been on a phone call with customer service and you're like, can I talk to your manager? They're like, why? I'm like, because I need to get somewhere in this conversation. I, I need to move this up the chain. So Joseph is saying, can we move this up? The chain. By the way, the word that he uses here as well in verse 15 for dungeon is the same word that is used for the cistern pit that he was thrown into. Uh, it's also used for uh, dark uh, cave-like places and also used for prison in this dungeon. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. 
On the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. And just so you know, the Egyptian dictionaries tell us that there were uh, at least 38 different types of pastries. These are the words that are used here. 38 different types of pastries and 57 different varieties of bread. Uh, I don't know where we lost those recipes. I (laughs) couldn't find 57 different types of bread. But little Debbie, I believe, has come up with the recipes for the other 38. Yes. And now we know where Star Crunch comes from. Okay, verse, uh, moving on. Verse 18, this is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head and impale your body on a pole. Can I hear an amen? And the birds will eat away your flesh. May we all be blessed by the reading of his word. Um, could you imagine being Joseph and having to give that? Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, is how they translate it here in the NIV, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. Verse 21, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph He forgot him. In closing, I I, I just, I I want us to think about a couple of things here. So Joseph's experience had to be the biggest roller coaster here. He had two dreams of his own. He was waiting for the fulfillment of those two dreams. It's been probably 11 years from the time of those dreams to the time that these two new dreams come into his path. He obviously still had confidence in those two dreams that he had. Otherwise, he would not have had confidence that he could interpret these two dreams. So he had not lost hope. Imagine, he only had three days to wait. Imagine in three days how he saw the interpretation that God gave him of these dreams come to fulfillment exactly the way God inspired him to interpret those dreams. That had to give him confidence that, yes, if those dreams were correct, my previous dreams are correct as well. But how long does he have to wait between that moment of confirmation that God is with him and that dreams still do come true? How long does he have to wait before he gets out of prison? two more years, two more years. And the question is, God, you just built him up. You just showed him. Why do you need two more years? And many of us have to ask that question today because you've prayed for things that you know the the clock is ticking and how much more, what could I do with two years? What could we do if we got the last two years back? got rid of COVID and got those two years back? You know how much productivity we lost? So you have to look at this and you have to ask the question, you know, it had to be quite disappointing for Joseph to be at this moment of of spiritual maturity and yet still having to wait even more time. It had to be extremely challenging And we're out of time today, so 
I'm not going to be able to go to the other mics, but I want you to ask this question of yourself today and all throughout this week. Am I allowing the enemy to disappoint me because my timing's not matching up with God's timing? Does that mean now's the time to give up on what I felt God doing all this time? Or is now the time to say, look, God's timing is always good timing. And my timing, it's hit or miss. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Don't allow yourself to be disappointed. Many of you here are Seventh-day Adventists. You've grown up with this, this teaching of one of the sparking moments of the Seventh-day Adventist church. They call it the great... Oh, it wasn't the great revival? It was the great disappointment? I think this right here shows you what you can do with disappointments. Disappointments can kill you off because there were several people there on that day that expected Jesus Christ to come. On that very day, who left disappointed and discouraged. And they walked away, never cracking open the scripture again because obviously they couldn't trust the Bible. But there was another group of people that came from that moment and said, look, we obviously did not understand what scripture really says about Christ's coming. And they devoted themselves to a life of study into who God is, and what his plan is, and what he really wants us to do in between now and his second coming. Not all disappointments lead to failure. Some disappointments lead to revolutions. And what God is calling us to do today is to take your disappointments and let him revolutionize your life. Let him encourage you to study. Let him encourage you to pray. Let him encourage you to spend time with him so that then God can say, you're just exactly the way I need you to create the revolution around you that I made you to spark. And I hope you know that I am praying for a specific revolution in your life. If you'd like to share with me what's going on, how God has been using these disappointments in your life to grow you, I'd love to hear from you. Write to me at info at thebiblelab.com. That's info at thebiblelab.com. And let me know how you're doing. I'd love to share in your journey where you're going. Now, this next episode, we take the next step into Genesis chapter 41, the next step of the story where God takes these disappointments. He takes the experiences that you've gone through for so long, and he says, let me show you why I take you through the journey in the way that I take you through it. So it all not only makes sense, but it makes you the powerful person that God made you to be. I hope you'll come back for the next episode. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.